at John chapter 20, starting from verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, and the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise he was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Then Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them. I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. 
So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those that have not seen and yet believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Well, good evening. Welcome to this Easter Sunday service. My name is Paul, if I haven't met you. Uh, what a difference a day makes. What a difference a day makes. Uh, we gathered here on Friday evening and we reflected on that barbaric cross where Jesus, the Son of God, was crucified. We reflected on the pain and the agony that he suffered so that you and I can be fully forgiven. And yet here we are. Here we are on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday, and today is a day of joy and a day of victory and a day of hope because the tomb was empty. I want to reflect on just one verse from that gospel we've had read. It's on the screen. It's John 20, 29, where Jesus says to the risen, to Thomas, he says, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that is us, isn't it? No, we haven't seen the empty tomb. We didn't see the folded grave clothes. We haven't seen the, the physical resurrected body of Jesus with his nail marks. We haven't seen any of that. And yet, as I look out tonight, so many of us do believe. Praise God for that. Our theme for this Easter Sunday is that word believe. The word believe is the same root as the word faith or trust. Same word. And every relationship is based on believing. Every friendship is based on believing. You, you believe in the person. You believe in their words. They believe who they are. It's the same with God. God longs for us to believe in him, to have a relationship with him, to trust him, to have faith in him. I so need to ask you on this Easter Sunday, do you believe? Do you believe in the resurrection? As a pastor, I have this amazing privilege of conducting funerals. And at every single funeral I've ever conducted, I quote the words of Jesus from John 11, where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. 
Whoever believes in me, even though they die, even though they die physically, yet will they live, they will have eternal life. And then Jesus poses this question. He says in John 11, do you believe this? So let me ask you that question again. Do you believe this? Do you believe the tomb was empty? Do you believe that Jesus was raised? Do you believe that death was defeated? Do you believe he conquered the grave? Do you believe that he's now alive? Do you believe that you've got the Holy Spirit living in you? And do you believe that one day that you will rise and you will have a resurrection body, a perfect body? Do you believe all of that? That's our question tonight. Do you believe this? Some friends of mine in, in, in Cape Town, South Africa, their names are David and Sharon Holgate. Uh, they are great believers. I met them 27 years ago when I worked in Cape Town. They had a beautiful faith, a true belief in Christ. And yet in many ways, I've watched their faith flourish and their belief deepen over the last 20-odd years. You see, their eldest son, Daniel, was diagnosed with a disease called Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It's basically when your muscles waste away. So he's now in an electric wheelchair. His legs don't work. His arms don't work. And soon that will go to his neck, and then he will die. And yet, this, this amazing family, they, they, they talk with such confidence about this resurrection body. They really believe that Daniel will have new legs and new arms at work, and they really believe that one day he'll have this perfect body. Do you believe that? Many of us here know and love Mahia. He comes to our 5 p.m. service. Uh, Mahia was involved in a surf accident five years ago that left him paralyzed. He's now in a wheelchair. Uh, when he was in the hospital after the accident, I had, I had the joy of going to the hospital every single Monday and doing Christianity Explored with him. And to see his faith in Jesus, his eyes being opened to Jesus, to see the, this joy and this peace that came over him as he believed in Christ rather than Allah, to see his, the fear go and this deep peace in Jesus. And when you meet him today, he says, even if my, my legs never work on this earth, I do believe I'm going to have perfect legs in heaven. I'm going to dance for joy with Jesus. Do you believe that? I could talk about my wife, Rachel. Many of you know my wife, Rachel. She was widowed age 27. Her first husband, Ben, died of leukemia. He was a believer. She is a believer. They had a six-month-old son. He's Sam. He's now 17. He's now my adopted son. And to know that they know where Ben is, they know that he's with Jesus, they know that he has a new resurrection body, that transforms your grief, doesn't it? I could keep talking about people who believe. People who believe, like Lizzie, with your chronic pain, but you believe in Jesus and your resurrection body. Michael, whose son was killed in a car crash, he's a believer. I could talk about these millions of people around the world today are celebrating a resurrection because they believe in a resurrection body. Do you believe that? You see, in many ways, I, I do think that until you've stared death in the face, until someone precious to you is suffering or, or dying, until you yourself are suffering or dying, until you've experienced that, then, then this resurrection, this resurrection, it perhaps is like this theological theory that you sing about. But when you're confronted with death and suffering, it becomes a reality. 
And you say, yes, I do believe in that. See, in many ways, the resurrection is a bit unbelievable, isn't it? And we get the death of Jesus because we understand the mechanics of death. We understand that people die. But dead people don't normally rise. Dead people don't normally come back to life again. And that is why the resurrection of Jesus is so miraculous and so essential and so important for the Christian faith. Because Christianity is not just about the gruesome death of a, of, a, of a man. It's not just about blood and pain. It's about victory. It's about celebration. It's about hope. It's about new life in Christ. So let's unpack that word believe. Let, let's open your Gospels in John chapter 20. We're going to meet all these people who believed. Early on the first day of the week, so it's a Sunday morning. And the disciples are, are gathered. It's still dark. It, it kind of describes how they're feeling because the, these disciples, they, they've given everything to follow Jesus. They, they, they gave up their families and their homes and their jobs. And yet they just watched their beloved Jesus die, die a humiliating, barbaric death. And you imagine how they're feeling. They're feeling downcast. They're feeling despair. But as the sun rose that first Easter morning, it's like their, their despair turned to delight. Their fear turned to joy. Lots of people believed in this, in this chapter. So, so John believed. John is the guy who wrote this gospel. He is one of Jesus' closest disciples. He's one of the inner three. He's described himself as the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved. Uh, and we're told that John and Peter raced to the tomb because Mary said, they've taken the Lord away. We don't know where they've put him. And we're told in verse 5 that John bent over and he looked in, but he didn't go in. But Simon Peter went in, and verse 6, he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. Uh, please don't tell me that, that Peter and John went to the wrong tomb. That is ridiculous. Three days earlier, they, they saw where Jesus' body had been laid. If you just buried your loved one, you wouldn't forget where the tomb was three days later. Please don't tell me that grave robbers stole the body because they left the linen strips, the linen cloths. That's the most expensive thing. If you're going to steal something, you'd steal the most expensive things, wouldn't you? But verse 8, it says, John saw and he believed. And I love that about John, that John believed because of what he didn't see. He didn't see a body, and so he believed. He didn't see the dead body of Jesus. He just saw an empty tomb. He saw and believed because the tomb was empty. So do you believe the tomb was empty? So John believed. And Mary Magdalene believed. I'm going to invite Betsy to help us to understand Mary Magdalene. Thanks, Paul. So when I was younger... This story of Mary and Jesus at the empty tomb, this encounter, it never really struck me as very significant. If anything, it just seems like this odd story of this woman who is supposed to know this person and she sees him and she thinks he's a gardener. But the longer I follow Jesus, the more I realize that this encounter, this picture is truly life-changing and amazing 
because it shows us Jesus's heart for people and that the resurrection, the fact that Jesus is alive, really changed everything, that it turned the world upside down, and it's something worth believing. Now, there's lots of different Marys we talk about in the Bible. So there's Mary, who was the mother of Jesus. Um, We talk about her at Christmas. Um, You might have heard of Mary, who had a sister named Martha and a brother named Lazarus. Um, This is a different Mary. So this is Mary Magdalene. We meet her in Luke 8. And what we find out about Mary Magdalene is that she was filled with seven demons. And when she meets Jesus, he frees her from that. And so she had been a person who probably experienced tremendous emotional and spiritual oppression. And Jesus brings her freedom. And so she chooses to spend the rest of her life following his, well, the rest of his life, following his earthly ministry and being one of his disciples. She's even there at the cross with his mom. But I think in John 20, this passage, where we see this final picture of Mary and Jesus, I think is the most beautiful. And I think we learn a lot about who Jesus is from it. So it says, after finding the tomb empty, Mary is sitting there weeping. Her teacher has died. One of the most important people in her life has died. Her heart is broken. And she's at a loss. She doesn't know where his body's gone. And she's sitting there weeping. She's grieving and she's vulnerable. And John tells us that out of the corner of her eye, she sees someone. And so she turns and she looks and it's Jesus, but she doesn't recognize him. She doesn't realize it's him. And so he begins to speak to her and he says, woman, why are you crying? What is it that you're looking for? And she's not expecting to see Jesus. So she just thinks it's the gardener who's talking to her and who's asking these questions. And you can almost hear the desperation in her voice when she says, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will come and get him. But she's not speaking to the gardener. She's speaking to Jesus, her teacher, her friend. And I don't know why she doesn't recognize him. Maybe it's because she wasn't expecting to see him. Maybe it's because her eyes are full of tears and maybe it's something supernatural that's happening, but something keeps her from seeing him clearly until verse 16 when there's a shift he speaks her name Jesus said to her Mary he says her name and at that moment she sees him clearly she knows his voice and she recognizes him it's like earlier in John when Jesus says my sheep hear my voice And I know them and they follow me. Mary realizes that Jesus is alive, standing in front of her. And she calls out, Rabboni, teacher. And I imagine she must have wanted to just cling to him. I imagine she just did not want to leave. That she wanted to know how he was standing there. She probably had a million questions. She didn't understand it. But Jesus has a different plan for her. Because he explicitly says, do not stay here. Do not cling to me. Instead, he trusts her with a major task. He sends her to go and tell the disciples that he's alive. She becomes the apostle 
to the apostles being the first person to share the good news of the gospel that Jesus is alive. And this is where we get a glimpse into the fact that the resurrection, the fact that Jesus is alive, truly changed the world upside down. That he made the unbelievable believable. Because you see, Mary was a woman. And at this time, a woman's voice would not have believed. She would not have been seen as a trustworthy testimony. She would have not been asked to be a witness at a trial. And she most certainly would not have been tasked to be the first person to share the good news that Jesus was alive. Her voice would not have mattered. Her voice would not have been heard. Her voice would not have been believed. And yet, Jesus chooses her to be his witness. And let's think about that. If I was Jesus, I might have done something completely different. The truth is he could have gone to anyone that morning. He could have gone right back to the high priest that had been there at his arrest, and he could have asked for justice and vindication. He could have gone back to the political leaders like Pilate, and he could have attempted to set up an earthly kingdom. Or he could have walked right into a synagogue, looked at the religious leaders, and said, See, I told you so. But he didn't. Instead, the heart of Jesus, the heart of God, was not to go straight to the powerful, but go to a weeping woman in a garden. And this reveals to us that God's heart places a higher value on those who mourn than those who cling to power. And that God's heart is from a mourning woman and not influencing a political official. And that God's heart meets us exactly where we are and reveals exactly who he is. At the empty tomb, standing in a garden, we get a glimpse into the power of Jesus' resurrection that makes the unbelievable believable, that turned the world upside down. Jesus shows us through his encounter with Mary that his heart is for all of us who are grieving, broken, hurting, confused, and human. So whatever you've walked in feeling today, whatever you're carrying, whatever your questions, Jesus is ready to meet you exactly where you are and bring freedom, salvation, and forgiveness. Because just like Mary, when Jesus revealed himself to me, when he called me by name, when I could finally see clearly who he really was, it changed my world and turned everything upside down. And that is why I believe. Thanks, Betsy. It's incredible, isn't it? John believed. Mary believed. John goes on, the 10 disciples believe. These 10 disciples are gathered on the first day of the week. There's 10 of them because Judas is not there and Thomas is somehow absent that evening. And they're gathered in a room and the room is locked because they are living in fear. They're living in fear of the Jews. They're terrified. And Jesus walks through a locked door. Do you believe he can do that? Now, if Jesus can come through grave clothes, then he can walk through a locked door. Don't question that. And he stands there with his, his resurrection body. I'd love to have seen that. 
Just three days later, his, his back had been lacerated, but it seemed to have been healed. And all he's got are the nail marks in his hands and his side. And he stands there and says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. And we're told in verse 20, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Because that's what happens when you believe in the resurrection. When you believe in the resurrection, it turns your fear into joy. Uh, Joy is not just happiness. It's not saying that you wash away all your problems and you're just happy all the time. Joy is this this deep-seated emotion. It's a, a contentment. It's a confidence. It's a satisfaction. And perhaps you've wondered why these Christians are so joyful all the time. That's because we believe in the resurrection. So John believed, Mary believed, the disciples believed, and Thomas believed eventually. I do feel really sorry for Thomas. For some reason, he wasn't present on that first Sunday evening. And so for the entire of history, he's been labeled Doubting Thomas. I don't think that's fair. I think Thomas is just being realistic. Thomas reminds me a bit, about, a bit like me. I want evidence. I want proof. You know, if someone came to you and said, Oh, we've seen the risen Lord Jesus. Yeah, come on. Tell us another story. That is Thomas. He's saying, I don't believe this. I need to see it with my own eyes. And so Thomas says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my, my hand into his side, I will not believe. And I kind of understand that. And then Jesus waits a week. Jesus often makes us wait, doesn't he? He doesn't give us immediate answers. And a week later, they're gathered together again, and Thomas is there, and Jesus appears again. And it's almost like Jesus has heard what Thomas said seven days earlier. Funny that, isn't it, that Jesus hears everything you say? And he appears again, and he stands before Thomas and says, Thomas, come on, reach out your hand. Put your fingers where the nail marks are. Come on, stop doubting and believe. He's saying, Thomas, stop being so sceptical and put your trust in me. Open your eyes and see it is real. I really am alive. Stop doubting and believe. And then Thomas utters these famous words, my Lord and my God. I'm a believer. Yes, I'm a believer. I love this chapter. All these people who believe, John, Mary, the disciples, Thomas, I could go on. I could talk about the 500 people who saw the risen Lord Jesus. I could talk about the Apostle Paul who met the risen Lord Jesus on the Damascus Road. I could talk about all the millions of Christians throughout Christendom who believed in Jesus. I could talk about myself because I'm a believer. I want you to understand I really, truly, honestly believe that Jesus was physically, bodily raised and the tomb was empty. I I believe that. I'd I'd stake my life on that. Trust me, I wouldn't be doing the job I'm doing tonight if I didn't believe that because I could earn heaps more money doing any other job. I really do believe this. I didn't always believe it. I'd never walked into a church for the first 20 years of my life. But when I was about 18, I started to think about death and life and eternal things and is there a God? I spent two years researching all world religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Christianity. 
And I looked at the evidence. I, I've got a PhD in mathematics from Oxford University. I like evidence. And I sat there and I, I read the scriptures. I read the Quran. I think, who is this God? I was asking questions. Is Jesus really the Messiah? Is he God? Did he live? Did he die? And the question again and again was this. It was, yes, 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 he is God. So at age 20, I believed in Jesus. And I do need to ask you tonight on this Easter Sunday, do you believe? If you're here tonight and you don't believe, can I humbly ask you why not? Why don't you believe? Is it because of lack of evidence? If you're here tonight and saying, oh, there's not enough evidence, can I challenge you on that? A history professor at Oxford University said there's more evidence. There's more evidence for the death and resurrection of Jesus than any other event in history. He didn't claim to be a believer. If you're here tonight and you don't believe and you haven't bothered to look at the evidence, can I humbly challenge you to spend time looking at the evidence? But after 20 years of being a pastor, I think the main reason why people don't believe is not because of evidence. It's because they're almost a bit afraid that this might actually be true and Jesus might actually be God and Jesus might actually be alive. And if he is really God, he might make a demand on your life. If that is you tonight, can I say, he does make a demand in your life, but actually living the way of Jesus is way, way, way better than any other way to live. So do you believe? There's a second word in that verse. It's the word blessed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. We're just going to spend five minutes on, on blessings. What are the blessings of believing? I think there's three. The first blessing is this. It's the word peace. When you believe, you have the blessing of experiencing peace. Peace with God and the peace of God. Uh, three times in this chapter, that word peace comes. Jesus comes and says, peace be with you, verse 19. Verse 21, peace be with you. Verse 26, peace be with you. And what he's promising there is that when you believe in Jesus, when you believe in the resurrected Jesus, you have this right relationship with your maker. You have peace with your God, peace with the one who made you. You stop living with all your brokenness and all your pain and all your shame, and you know that you are loved by God and known by God and a friend of God. Now, because the tomb was empty, we know the cross really worked. Because the tomb was empty, we know that we're fully forgiven. Because the tomb was empty, we know that you're fully loved. And so when you believe in the resurrection, you know you're fully loved, you're fully forgiven, you're fully known, and you have this relationship with God. You have a peace with your maker. And that is the most important relationship you will ever, ever, ever experience. Peace with your maker. But it's not just about that. It's about this inner peace. You know, one of the greatest gifts as a Christian when you believe in the resurrection is the gift of prayer. You can't talk to a dead man, can you? That's why when people die, it's so difficult because you want to talk to them. Now, if Jesus is still dead, then my prayers are just bouncing off a ceiling somewhere. They're going nowhere. But if Jesus is alive, if Jesus did really defeat death and came back to life again, then I can talk to him, I can pray to him. Remember that quote from the Muslim 
talking to the Christian. And he says this. We Muslims have one thing you Christians don't have. When we go to Medina, we find a coffin and know that Muhammad lived because we have his body in it. When you go to Jerusalem, you find nothing but an empty tomb. And the Christian said, thank you so much. What you say is so true. And that's what makes the eternal difference. The reason we find an empty tomb is that we don't serve a dead man. We serve a risen, living Lord Jesus. And he is alive. This is this greatest joy that you can bring all your trials, all your troubles, all your pain, all your heartache to him in prayer. And you can experience this peace of God that transforms all understanding. I hope you've experienced that. The blessing of peace. The blessing of power. The same power that that raised Christ from the dead now lives in us. It's called the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you spot that in verse 22? Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus breathed on those first disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, if Jesus was not risen, if he's still dead, that would be the end. But it wasn't the end. Jesus was raised, he, is, he was ascended, and then he sent his Holy Spirit, his powerful Holy Spirit. And the promise is this, for everyone who believes, that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in you now dwells in you. So you have power to live this Christian life, the power to live a transformed life, the power to actually be doing ministry for Jesus, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I hope you really believe that because of the resurrection, the Spirit of God now lives in you. I I don't know, maybe, maybe we expect too little of God. Maybe God is trying to teach us as a human race to stop being self-sufficient, to stop having all our plans and strategies and to let his spirit do the work. Maybe he's saying, watch me, watch me pour out my spirit, watch me save lost souls, watch me open blind eyes, watch me win people for Christ, watch me build my church, watch me work in your life because the power of God is at work in and through you. So the blessing of peace, the blessing of power, and finally the blessing of of a promised resurrection body, a resurrection promise. Because Jesus was raised, you will be raised. I will rise, I will rise as Christ was raised to life. And I hope you know that this world is not all that there is. This life is not all that there is. This body of yours is not a permanent body. It is failing, it is frail. I love the story of John Quincy Adams. When he was 80 years old, a friend said to him, how is John Quincy Adams? And he replied this, oh, oh, John Quincy Adams himself is very well, thank you. But the house he lives in is sadly dilapidated. It is tottering on its foundations. The walls are badly shattered. The roof is worn. The building trembles with every wind. And I think that John Quincy Adams will have to move out of his body before long. But he himself is very well. He's talking about his body. Now, I may not be 80 years old, but I can identify with him because every single year this body of mine seems to sag and wrinkle and droop a bit more. It becomes frailer and frailer. You know, every time 
I pick up these glasses as a reminder that this body of mine is failing. I can't read my Bible anymore without my glasses. My hearing's going. Got way less hair this year than I had last year. My knees are basically gone after running too many marathons. And every morning I sort of sit on the edge of the bed for just a, a fraction longer before I hop out of bed. It's just this reminder that this body of mine will not last forever. And I long for a resurrection body, a perfect body. I long for a, a body without cancer, without COVID. Bodies without mental health struggles or without muscular dystrophy. Bodies without failing limbs and arms and legs that don't work anymore. No more disabilities, no more doctors. And when you realize that this body of yours is not going to last forever, then the resurrection, the resurrection suddenly becomes so, so precious to you. They're the blessings. Peace with God. The peace of God. The power of the Holy Spirit. And a promised resurrection body. So do you believe? Do you believe? If you do believe, I'm going to say Christ is risen. And I want you to respond, he's risen indeed. If you don't believe, please don't say it. So please stand. I'll ask you, do you believe? Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Let's uh, say what we believe in the words of this creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. Here it is. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Around the world today, Christians will gather and they will enjoy this meal we call communion. Communion is a great way to remember all that Christ has done for us. This, this piece of bread is a, a symbol of his body that was broken for you on that first Good Friday. Uh, this juice is a symbol of his blood that was shed for you on that first Good Friday. But more than that, this juice is also a symbol of this meal that we're going to enjoy around the throne that last day, that great banquet of heaven with your new resurrection body. So if you're here tonight as a believer in Christ, please do join us for communion. We're going to pass it around as your seats tonight. So hold on to it as we sing this next song, and we're going to eat and drink together after this next song.